Welcome to Female Founder World. It's Jasmine here. I'm the host of the show, and today my guest is Ty Haney. You might know her as the founder of Outdoor Voices, or perhaps you're across her new Web3 venture, TYB. At TYB, she's powering community building and loyalty programs for consumer brands on the blockchain. And if you don't really know what that means, Ty gives a really clear, digestible explanation in the interview and really lays out how consumer brands should be thinking about community building and and generating revenue through Web3. It is a very interesting conversation. We also get into her lessons learned while building outdoor voices and chat about what actually happened when she left the startup that she created. Before we get into the chat, I want to tell you about an event that we have coming up, a female founder world community hang in New York. This is a free event for our founders in New York on the 8th of September. It's presented by Mason Hub, our partner on this event. They are the fulfillment company that I recommend to all of our founders. And we'll be holding this meetup in the Barla store in Soho. If you have been, you know how beautiful this space is. I'm so excited to be hosting an event there. I think you guys are going to really love it. We'll have drinks by female-founded brands like Talea Beer, Nobatica Wine, and Halmi, and a mezcal tasting. And the real highlight of the night will be a fireside chat that I'm moderating with two incredible female founders. We've got Natalie Holloway, the founder of Bala and Natalie Mackey, the founder of Winky Lux. This is also a really intimate event. So you'll get the opportunity at the end of this fireside chat to directly ask questions of the founders, which I just think is a really valuable thing to be able to facilitate. I'm really excited to be able to bring this to all of you. If you do want to secure your spot, you can hit the link in the show notes. Like I said, it's free to attend, but as you can imagine, space is super limited. I love it when you guys tag Female Founder World on Instagram stories and share what you think of the episodes. It's really a very significant contributor to how we grow when you are referring us and recommending Female Founder World to your friends. It always brings in a bunch of new listeners, which helps us put on events like the community hang that we're hosting in September. Okay, let's come to the chat with Ty. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we've been excited to chat to you. There's so much to cover with your story and what you're building. And we're going to get into TYB and Joggy and Web3. But just to set the scene for folks, I want to spend the first few minutes talking about Outdoor Voices and what you built there. Because I think a lot of people will know you from your first business. Can you chat us through what you were seeing in the activewear space that made you think there was an opportunity to build a company like Outdoor Voices? Yeah, of course. So I founded Outdoor Voices when I was 23, right out of college. I went to Parsons in New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. And background before that, I had grown up in Boulder, Colorado, a super outdoorsy mountain town and was super active. So I was this little athlete that did every sport imaginable. So I had grown up as a kid knowing this way of life where you're active every day, whether it's climbing the mountains or basketball practice, and thought that just was the way it was. And then I ended up going to New York for uh, business and design school and found myself like not having something to stay active with. There's no mountains, Mm -hmm. you know, there's at the art school, there's not, you know, much more than an intramural kind of program from a sports perspective. So I, I started to notice from a mental perspective that I wasn't the same tie and I was like slightly, you know, less optimistic, energetic, et cetera, and really needed some sort of resource or inspiration to move on a daily basis like I had grown up doing. And so coming out of school, I recognized that, you know, this wasn't just an issue for myself, but a lot of people were feeling similarly and ultimately had tasted kind of growing up 
the benefits of moving on a frequent basis. Like, and ultimately think that being active unlocks kind of, or can help you maximize happiness. And so figured that there was an opportunity to create an activewear brand that inspired people to move in any kind of way, shape or form, but really the focus being moving daily with your friends and finding joy in it. And that felt so different than the activewear brands I had grown up wearing and knowing. And I loved the Nikes and Under Armors mm. of the world when the goal at the time as a little hurdler was to be as fast as possible and cross the finish line first. But I kind of coming out of college also knew that there was opportunity to create a brand that approached it very differently and welcomed people in. You didn't have to look like an athlete or feel like an athlete, but rather every shape, size, type of person could come join this community and find a group to be active with and, and experience the benefits of that. So I spent eight years building out their voices. And I think our number one strength was in our community building. We had this crazy, fa- passionate, enthusiastic fan base around our mission of doing things, moving your body with friends every day. I want to talk a little bit about the brand building and the community building and your approach to that. From quite a tactical level, how did you approach that sense of community and brand while you were building Outdoor Voices? The mission to move was something that quite literally had to be activated. And so we had at first this kind of company value or mandate that it starts with us. So literally when we had our office on Canal Street, let's say there were 12 of us, each day we would pick an activity to go do at lunchtime. And so I think this is funny, just thinking back to this article, I think in the New York Times, it was us, our team, literally playing basketball down the street, like in kind of Canal Street basketball courtyard. And that it starts with us really kind of set the tone, Mm. you know, internally first for kind of this feeling that then we could start to extend to, you know, our customers and fans, et cetera. And so kind of tied to that, it starts with us became this very cool kind of grassroots activation of different local events, whether it be dog walks or joggers clubs or pickup basketball games that we started to invite people into. But we really kind of built that muscle and that behavior within kind of our shared experience as like Team OV first and then extended it to a wider base. You mentioned the New York Times before. From someone on the outside, it looks like there was no outdoor voices and then the next day you guys were everywhere and everyone was wearing you and you were like getting so much press coverage. And I'm just trying to understand how you were able to build so much momentum so quickly. Well, there's a lot that wasn't covered in the New York Times. So a lot of history (laughs) that predated that, right? I feel like this gets picked up kind of anywhere I speak, but I definitely started pitching this idea straight out of school. And what that meant was, you know, early on, I wasn't getting yeses for people to invest. And so I really Hmm. took it as a learning process to like get in the rooms with kind of a list of investors that I had seen invest in cool projects to refine and shape my business plan, how I went and pitched this plan, and then ultimately how I raised money. So ahead of that moment, there were many conversations had tons of hours kind of committed to shaping this thing, refining this thing and getting it to finally a place where some investors were like, hell yeah, I totally get the opportunity here. And, you know, at a specific or certain threshold, we started to get on the radar of the right people, press, customers, et cetera. And kind of from there, we had made enough kind of noise, grassroots noise Mm -hmm. that it became, you know, interesting coverage. 
Can you talk us through the transition out of the company and what that looks like? I feel like people know parts of the story, but then they kind of see that you're doing something else now that's really exciting. What was that like for you in the moment? And how do you think about, you know, how you exited the company? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's see. So I left in 2019. I mm-hmm. left twice. So I'll get into that uh, yeah. quickly. But <laughs> but I think the headline I want to start with is the direct-to-consumer model is very challenged. And that kind of ties to our solution with UIB, which is a Web3 loyalty toolkit. But what we were finding at Outdoor Voices was that our 360 community efforts, which meant events kind of in local markets tied to little neighborhood stores that weren't kind of in your like traditional shopping districts, but really like a place that you would frequent, like you did a coffee shop, tied to field marketing efforts that gen- generally were part of like a university, let's say. This kind of triangular system was the way to drive the most valuable customers into the Outdoor Voices kind of ecosystem. And so I compare compare that to how kind of most direct-to-consumer brands were acquiring customers, which was online through Facebook and Instagram, which worked for many years, but ultimately kind of, and I'm curious, or I would imagine that the the audience that's listening to this, probably this resonates with, it's becoming less and less of a sustainable way to grow in terms of acquiring people yeah. through those channels. CAC, customer acquisition costs have exploded and ultimately buying people through these channels don't net sticky customers. So I was very bullish on this 360 community effort, which was all about kind of in real life activation through these events and then amplification of that through social and and kind of referral. That said, we also were kind of caught in the crosshairs of being VC funded, which expected like crazy fast growth. And the VCs Mm. were at the time, like, you know, all of our companies paid performance marketing is really working. Like, why is, why are we not going harder after that? And then also had kind of a board member who was very bullish on kind of traditional retail growth, which meant wholesale, big box retail. And so we had this interesting dynamic that like, we couldn't quite pick a path in terms of how to grow the company, which ultimately made it very challenging from a dynamics standpoint, as well as just a business standpoint. We were spending dollars like in too many directions versus one. And so Ultimately, I ended up leaving in 2019 for the first time. And it, it's kind of funny. I, funny but sad. I, I wrote to the board after I had looked up how to resign. I hereby <laughs> tender my resignation. What, like Googled? Doing things. I literally Googled it because this is my That's first amazing. job ever. Um, <laughs> and so this, this little note says, I hereby tender my resignation. Doing things tie. It was so formal. I was like, oh, I think I have to be like perfectly correct here. Anyway, I sent that and there was like a bunch of kind of press that had, you know, come to a head at that moment. It also happened to be 2019 when unfortunately there was just kind of like a wave of female founders, you know, becoming targets. Yeah. So got caught up in that, unfortunately, but ultimately what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I I know that for a fact. And then I came Mm. back. So I came back into OV a month later after the board had said like, you know, we want you here, et cetera. And as someone who starts a company, that's your baby. And so it's hard to, you know, leave. And so I was, I thought this can be solved. I'm going back in. And ultimately, like we had raised so much money that my control had been, or my, I was no longer in control and my equity had been diluted to a point that one, I didn't have control. And two, it didn't make financial sense for me to you know, spend 100% of my time building this because 
what I could create from a wealth perspective just didn't match what I knew I yeah. should should be able to. That makes sense. We've spoken about this a lot on the podcast with different founders about what was happening in 2019 and 2020 and the way that it just feels like we, and, and press does this with, and I've been in the press, you know, I've been a fashion and beauty yeah. editor. I've, I've contributed to this. And, and that's kind of why I started Female Founder World. I just looked at the way that the press builds up, not just female founders, but women in general with any kind of profile. And we kind of idolize them and make them into these role models, whether or not they uh, actually are presenting themselves that way. But it seems like yeah. we, we build them up this way. And then there has to be some kind of trajectory where they get torn down again when we find out that they're human and it, and it, the way that men are covered is so different. Like we can, we can allow them to be human and imperfect and also really great business people and the business yeah. can be separated from the person. And it was just such an yeah. interesting time watching all of this culminate in this like crazy, like, uh, you know, press headstorm that happened at this time that, um, totally. yeah, you unfortunately one got th- One in. thing that stands out to me just, um, a lot of these journalists are like speaking to an audience that hasn't built a company before. And so yes. I, you know, I'd look around and be like, okay, what's the pattern here? Well, we've sensationalized that there are challenges at a business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, and, and like pulled kind of like pieces, you know, out that we want to talk about and like get a big kind of reaction around that ultimately are normal parts of doing business. And and mm-hmm. I'm not kind of like saying, generalizing kind of every every kind of moment because I know that there certainly were areas that all of us are like, shit, I made a mistake. Like I would do that differently yeah. this time. That said, we have to normalize that there are challenges at businesses and like that can't be something that's clickbait. Or we as female founders are never going to raise the dollars that kind of male counterparts do or have the opportunities if if we keep getting you know, cut down or removed for things that are really par for the course. Like building a business is very challenging. There are like crazy dynamics every day. I just remember in one of these articles that that had come out, like Ty made me respond to like social comments within like whatever, three hours. And like, I'm like, okay, that does sound a little crazy if you have no understanding of what a social media role is. You know what I mean? Like there's specific (laughs) expectations for that type of thing. So that, that was just, that was crazy. But I, I remember ahead of like some of these pieces coming out being like, oh my God, this is going to be the, the end of me. And like, ultimately by no means was that the case. Like, yeah. I've had the opportunity now to take what I've learned at Outdoor Voices and apply it kind of to something that I think has even more potential. So that's kind of my current state. I've been able to wrap yeah. a really nice bow on that experience and and learn from it. And ultimately I think it's important to, take the time to understand kind of what creates something, you know, that big of an issue. Mm-hmm. Why would I be like kind of ousted from the company that, that I started, but ultimately not, not to make the same mistake twice. That's, yeah. that's kind of one key takeaway, I would say. Something that the founders in our community speak to a lot is there's this, there's actually this fear around putting themselves out there because they're so afraid of that teardown. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, we're having this like moment of on TikTok founders very much being the face of their companies. And then this, this, this tension about like what that, what that's going to mean and how the fear that comes from it. How did you actually get, get through that year? Cause I can't imagine how stressful and heartbreaking and you must've been in such a state of turmoil through that. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, it was all happening when I was pregnant with my first kid, mm. Sunny. 
So there was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. I almost think that that was the greatest blessing is like having a kid that now like I had to fully go focus on. Yeah. It also was right when COVID hit to so, like everyone dispersed and like the whole world kind of like flipped upside down. That year after I left, well, I had gone back and was like somewhat engaged. I just remember like really leaning into into kind of taking care of myself and like mm. I I did a piece with ink that I remember like really caring about that that essentially allowed me to release kind of any of this crazy feeling that I had that that really just took accountability for the mess like whether or not kind of like you know I felt that this happened to me because of this or I created this like the most freeing kind of next step for me was just documenting it with with an uh, editor that I very much trusted at, at Inc and like taking full accountability at the end of the day I signed up to be the CEO this was my first time being CEO and it was a very amazing awakening to understand like what responsibility comes with that yeah absolutely I want to talk about TYB now and Joggy and and what you're doing I think that you've clearly reflected a lot on what you built with Outdoor Voices what worked what didn't work and community building clearly was the the thing that you're like really bullish on. Help me understand, first of all, for folks who aren't Web3 natives and gurus, what are you mm-hmm. creating? Pretty simply, we I like to kind of compare it to something that exists today. So mm-hmm. it's a new way of doing loyalty. And it is very much informed by the experience of building at Outdoor Voices and and kind of shining a light on how important our most loyal fans, our super fans in this engaged community was for our growth. I think from a brand perspective, what the Web3 kind of blockchain crypto world does is it unlocks a better business model for brands that today are structurally reliant on ad platforms. So like I said, we'd raise X amount of dollars, 30 to 40% of those dollars raised would go to you know, acquisition channels, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, to acquire fans. Ultimately, what our toolkit allows brands to do is take 5% of that money, let's say, and redistribute distribute it directly to loyal fans to help grow. I think what's attracted me most to kind of the Web3 space is this idea of users of a product, people that love a product or brand, having some sort of stake or incentive for continuing to be fans of and and spreading kind of the word about this brand or product. And so that that pretty simply is is like my focus is ultimately this idea of community ownership where brands can make their fans an extension of the team. And on the fan side, I can now have a more kind of intimate relationship with the brands that I love. I can help influence and shape kind of the direction of a brand or product that I love. And ultimately I can own my data and like my behavior. And I think that's something that may, you know, I think a lot of people are wisening up to, but in kind of these Mm -hmm. centralized community building tools, we as like fans of a brand are the product. And that's what's so meaningfully different about building on the blockchain, this credibly neutral platform that everything is, is public. Everything, everything is not owned by 
a company. And that's a really yeah. kind of fun place to play. That's a really smart flip in the way that you see it. In a really practical sense, if I have a consumer brand, I already have a community. Maybe I'm using something like Geneva and we're doing some programming online or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. uh, around the community. How do I come to TYB? I know that you're only taking on certain brands at the moment, but let's assume I'm one of the brands that are sure. using it. Are you, how do yeah. I come on and how do I, how do I get onto the blockchain and how do I bring my community yeah. into this space? Like, what does that look like in a really tactical and tangible sense? Very simply, you start with a collectible. So mm -hmm. female founders world collectible, it looks and feels like this. It's something that like feels right for your brand that your audience is going to be attracted to. And then you connect it to some sort of utility. So it could be something around for, I'd start with access to our community channel where you can like comment on influence and be pulled on kind of the future of the people we interview and kind of like merch, et cetera. The second thing could be access to in real life events. So this collectible equals access to in real life events. You essentially create a set or list of perks that this collectible and collectible holders get by having this in their wallet. And wallet's a new new term for sure, but mm -hmm. pretty simply it's where value lives. And so collectible owners unlock these perks, the headline being access to this channel where they can participate in a mean, more meaningful way. And I very much believe kind of the future of brand building is about two things, co-creation. So empowering your super fans to weigh in on kind of decisions, people you interview, et cetera, like I described, and then incentivization. And so when you bring your audience in as collectible holders, every action that they're taking to help you build or to kind of help weigh in is rewarded with something. That could be a brand coin. So a female founders world brand coin that can be redeemed for something over time. At the base level, the kind of ecosystem-wide metric within TYB is called a rep. It's like reps at a gym or reputation building over time. And you mm -hmm. can see within your community who has earned the most reps and then let's say airdrop them a collectible that could be some sort of physical product or it could be access to a private Zoom call with you. Some sort of really cool perk or experience that like people get excited about. But that that's really kind of the, the first concept is collectible equals this cool perk or experience. And then my ability to participate in an ongoing manner where I'm rewarded for it. Okay. You've explained that probably better than I've heard anyone explain it before. And I've been to lots of Web3 events and everything. So that was super helpful. When you think about kind of taking it to the next level where then the community are helping to shape the brand, how have you done that at Joggy, which is the CBD product that you're building on the, yeah. you know, under the same model? So Joggy, we incubated, it's an energy like supplement company with some CBD products. It's really great. You should check it out. Awesome. But we, we launched Joggy as our first kind of brand going live on TYB with the headline being like, let's see how this works. Mm -hmm. And so I'll kind of walk you through the experience and then kind of what's happened thereafter. Um, we sold, so Joggy had not launched and we sold 500 Joggy Doggy collectibles. They're these cute animated little uh, brown dogs that are jumping after a Frisbee. And so we sold 500 of them for $250 each. This is interesting because this is our own brand. We were able to start to test a more kind of a more meaningful kind of like value incentive. And so the headline perk by buying one of these collectibles is that these 500 people have access to 5% of Joggy's revenue as we grow. And so that's a really uh -huh. good example of kind of the types of tools we'll start to productize 
within TYB are these smart contracts or these collectibles with smart contracts that more meaningfully incentivize fans for their participation. So in this case, it's revenue-based rewards. And so we got 500 people in, I think in 48 hours or something like that. And this essentially is our founding member team. And so going from, we have four people on the Joggy team to 504 people day two was like meaningfully different. And now these people are incentivized to help spread the word of Joggy. And it's awesome. So 90% of the people who have come in through Joggy did not have a collectible. So this was their first wallet experience and first collectible. And that that kind of is something that's super important to me is how do we get more female, like young women into kind of the Web3 space? And I think by the brands that they love. So as we've kind of, I think we're four months in with the Joggy experiment, we've grown the Joggy community and looking at data, it's quite compelling. Joggy founding members or Joggy Doggy collectible holders, they've, they've purchased almost three times more than non-community members. So okay. there's a whole slew of data that are starting to show that when you're, you know, more tangibly connected to the brand and there's upside in terms of incentive, there's obviously a more more of a compelling kind of reason to buy more, spread the word, et cetera. That is so interesting. I think that um, using the blockchain as a tool to get buy-in from a community, I think people have been dabbling in different ways to kind of help their community shape their brand. And it's little things like, you know, we did an Instagram poll to choose the color and it feels like not a very meaningful actual community building effort or a community contribution to shaping the brand, whereas this feels so much more meaningful. What do you say to folks who are nervous about handing over some control about the company for the company to people that maybe don't have the same vision as them or have a different taste level? How do you... How do you retain some control and, and be able to steer the ship while still mm-hmm. getting that influence on the platform? It's interesting. One thing that always was like fascinating to me and in, in what we kind of optimized for at Outdoor Voices was we'd make this product. There was a clear mission and purpose, but but the magic happened when we essentially let that set that product free and allowed the community to bring the product and the mission to life. And so that was always mm. more interesting than like what we would tops down direct. And there are two articles that are worth worth mentioning. One is called Squad Wealth and the other is called Headless Brands. And mm-hmm. it's this little collection of authors that are painting a picture for kind of the future of, of brand building. You know, I guess it's similar to kind of my perspective affirms it a little bit, but it's really about, we've we've been in this world where it's like, we're building lifestyle brands around this mission. And there's like one CEO and kind of one driving force or like person that you think of with that brand. Yeah. But I'm going to just, I had written down a, a note recently. I'm just going to read it. Their thought is squads are reemerging today as potent cultural forces that reject a strictly individualist market philosophy. And really this is about resiliency. And, and this is important to me, but, or relevant to me, a single kind of person at the head can be canceled and create risk yes. for the entire brand. What's so cool about kind of this collective building is that there's many Michael Jordans, you know what I mean? And it's very much this team, almost sports-like analogy where you have your three-point shooter, you have your guard, and you start to have like these rock stars that aren't just like about one person at the helm, which ultimately is a risky situation. So I think both of those articles kind of speak to this in a nice way, but ultimately building by collective is all about 
de-risking and resiliency for kind of the greater whole. And then the squad wealth piece is all about like, it's more fun to build value together. And we're moving to a future that's not just about like one person getting rich, but rather it's all about community belonging to something larger than yourself and feeling part of something larger than yourself. So like when we share in a win, it's that much more like tasty than a single kind of entity. So I, I would recommend looking at both of those things. And then just one one last thing. This is all kind of like a new world in terms of building in in kind of a more collective kind of by consensus type way. But what really matters at the end of the day is strong internal coordination. So like if we have 5,000 people in here kind of influencing Joggy, we just need to understand what the best kind of framework is, toolkit and governance to like make this work. So that that's kind of still the grand experiment, I would say. That's a really exciting thesis. Very cool. And then how does, how does TYB make money as a platform? Two parts right now. So in this new loyalty phase, there's a monthly fee. So subscription mm-hmm. fee that right now ranges depending on if you're a from zero brand or large established retail. And then we take 10% of collectible sales. And so that it's pretty straightforward, pretty kind of traditional SaaS. The collectible piece is really interesting for brands nowadays because it's near it's 90% margin. Like digital product obviously is quite attractive from a revenue perspective versus physical product. Over time, we will start to introduce the TYB token or coin. That's essentially like the coin of this um, ecosystem of community-led and like community-minded brands. Um, and at that point becomes quite cool in that brand coins become interoperable. So if you have a parade coin, for instance, you can trade it in via TYB coin for an away coin. And that's like a very cool future when we start to have all these kind of cooperative communities or brand communities coming in and operating in this way where like we're sharing audiences, we're kind of cross-pollinating, but it's ultimately a much more efficient way to grow. That's a very exciting future. From a, from a data perspective, the Joggy founding member story has been quite compelling. Of the founding members from a purchasing perspective, 60% more, they are 60% more likely to repeat. 87% have a higher order frequency than non-founding members. And then they have a greater than 2x higher repeat spend, so with higher AOV. And then the last thing is Joggy community founding members are five times more likely or frequently opening emails or browsing, signing into mm. TYB than non-founding members. So pretty compelling and we're just four months in, but the data data is important to obviously, that's the name of the game here. Yeah. So you're like truly, brands who are using this kind of system are truly building super fans within their communities. A hundred percent. And really kind of the toolkit is all about making community efforts and kind of the actions that your community members are taking measurable. So how does the effort of this cohort relate to revenue, repeat revenue, engagement, community growth. So that's like very much a big unlock here is community is no longer this fluffy. I think it's working directionally. It's working, but very much we can give you a real time look at these efforts and then automate a lot of the things that are valuable from a community standpoint, like sharing to social, creating content, submitting reviews, hosting events. All of this is starting to be automated through the TYB toolkit. And these are the type of actions that you would reward through, for example, like a coin or something like that, that this is the kind of thing that brands are trying to encourage from their community through this loyalty program. Exactly. Yep. 
I, I read somewhere that while you were at Outdoor Voices, you were using kind of that ambassador model of you had certain folks in your community hosting events on behalf of Outdoor Voices. I can see how that would have, that experience mm-hmm. would have fed into your thesis around this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, crypto as a coordinating mechanism is really interesting. And I think ultimately, I believe that brands need an owned community channel to coordinate and reward this type of like more meaningful interaction standardize and scale incentives and then ultimately make community measurable so yeah Yeah. this a lot of this was informed by by what we did across a fragmented set of channels at outdoor voices i'm really curious about what the response has been from both when you were first out raising money for this idea i read that you raised 10 million Mm. is that right when you first started yeah that's correct yeah Uh, we we raised 10 million in in may okay I'm interested in what the response was like from the investor community versus the brand community and who was more excited, who was more nervous, where did you have struggles to bring people on board or was it an easy sell? People. That's a great question. I think investors, well, when we first went out to market, we raised 2 million in a pre-seed round in October. Mm-hmm. The crypto world, et cetera, was like very hot, right? And so yep. this was kind of like an obvious, yes, Web3 loyalty is going to be a thing. This just is a better business model. It's a better way to connect with and, and create value with your community. So we raised $2 million from an awesome group called Cash, Castle Island Ventures. They're like a blockchain technology and infrastructure firm. And so they can go deep with us on like really the technical pieces. And then in May, we raised from an awesome firm called Unusual. So I would say the investment piece has been, I wouldn't say easy, but having kind of a, a background in community building and then and then like creating a toolkit that other brands can essentially do that in the same way has been a compelling story and, and allowed us to raise substantial funds. And then from a brand perspective, it's interesting because with the markets kind of where they're at and with the direct-to-consumer challenges that I mentioned, the headline is all about loyalty. How do I keep my customers engaged with me, growing yes. with me, et cetera? And there's no default solution. And so in conversations, what we've found works best is almost like not speaking to anything Web3, blockchain, crypto related. Like obviously the market's in an interesting place for that, but focusing it all on kind of this new loyalty solution. And I think... That's really important. We've very much created an experience that obfuscates any of the complexity of the crypto world. So you don't have to, you have ETH, uh, you can buy a collectible using your credit card. Like you almost don't know or need to know. You absolutely don't need to know that you're working kind of in a Web3 interface, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Amazing. And in terms of the brands that are like using TYB now, I know that you have Body, which is Jilly Hendrix's new vodka brand. Is there anyone else that folks would be familiar with that is on the platform now? So we have three brands live, Joggy, Body, and Veda, who is out of Austin. And then we just went live with Topicals. They, it's a private community oh, yeah. right now. Are you familiar with Topicals Beauty? Yeah, we have and first so they, ever founder on the podcast. Oh, hell Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of, of them. And so they are now managing their ambassador community using the TYB toolkit, and then we'll start to use it for loyalty. We are also going live with Juneshine around a membership for their tasting room. And then a really cool beauty brand will go live uh, mid-September with a celebrity. So we have we have a brand, kind of larger and larger brands going live every two to three weeks. And there's some really kind of established large kind of players in the space that'll that'll be live in a few months as well. Wow, that's so exciting. How do brands, because now everyone's super excited about this and they want to be involved, how do brands get on your wait list or how do they reach out? 
you can go to uh, our site, TYB.xyz, and there's ways to apply for becoming a brand. We have a long wait list of awesome brands, and we're going to get there as fast as, as we can. Really kind of the headline for the next two months is around accelerating product development and like really refining the tool so that we can start mm-hmm. to offer it to, to many more people. But I would encourage anyone if they want to test the tool kind of in its current state, in the MVP state, to join Joggy, joggy.tyb.xyz uh, and join the Joggy community. Awesome. And Ty, the last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. And that can be a book, a podcast, something that's kind of like helped you as you've been evolving and up-leveling as a founder. The Kevin Kelly, Thousand True Fans. Have you read that? It's yes, an essay. It's that's very a good short. one. It's amazing. And that's kind of an important kernel of, kernel of inspiration just for the, the way that I do things. And then the two that I mentioned are, are really valuable as well. Headless Brands and Squad Wealth. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome to hear your story. And I can't wait to see where you end up going with TYB. It's a very cool space. Thank you so much for having me. 